This is the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain. Masting is the synchronous and episodic production of seeds. There are questions, however, as to why this occurs, while many plant species simply produce seeds every year. I recently caught up with Joshua Rapp to chat about his recent paper in the journal, exploring mechanisms behind masting in a pine species. I'm Josh Rapp. I'm a postdoctoral researcher at the Harvard Forest, which is a department of Harvard University. I'm a forest ecologist with a particular interest in masting dynamics of forest trees. Can you describe, before we get into sort of what you were trying to do, can you describe for people that aren't familiar, uh, you know, what what is mast seeding? Sure. So mast seeding is the synchronous production of large seed crops uh, by a population of plants at intervals greater than one year. And that interval is often irregular, which kind of lends some mystery to how individual plants synchronize reproduction with the rest of the population. What problem was your specific study trying to solve? So it's looking at some of the um, assumptions of one particular theory on how masting happens. So um, kind of the leading idea on how masting works is that there are positive density dependent benefits to producing many seeds. That is, uh, more seedlings are produced and survive when reproduction is concentrated in certain years. Um, one way to think about this is, is to think about the animals that eat seeds. So if a tree produces a few seeds every year and there are lots of seed predators like squirrels around, um, the seeds are all likely to be eaten, mm-hmm. every last one of them. If, however, a tree produces very few or, or no seeds in most years, uh, the squirrels will have nothing to eat. And so the, their population will stay very small and then um, if that tree then produces a large seed crop one year, the squirrels aren't going to be able to eat all the seeds, and some of them will escape and germinate and grow into new trees. Um, this, this idea is known as the predator satiation hypothesis, mm-hmm. which is kind of one of the main ideas for why masting is beneficial to plants. Um, but it doesn't really explain how masting might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other kind of density-dependent benefits to masting. One could be better seed dispersal, and another could be improved pollination when reproduction is high. Um, So about 15 years or so ago, a group of Japanese ecologists developed some mathematical theory describing how improved pollination during masting could explain how plants synchronize the reproductive effort. Mm -hmm. Um, They call this theory the resource budget model of masting. And it it works kind of like this. Um, If pollen is limiting and a plant flowers in a year when the other plants in the population are not flowering, there won't be very much pollen available and pollination will be poor. Few fruits will be made. Um, Because these fruits don't require the plant, these very few fruits don't require the plant to use many resources, the plant has plenty of energy and nutrients left over Um, to flower again in the next year when other plants in the population may be flowering. Mm -hmm. If it then flowers in a year when um, other plants are flowering, then there is plenty of pollen available. So all the flowers get pollinated and make fruits, resulting in a mast year. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But producing all these fruits requires energy and nutrients, and the plant depletes its resource stores, um, as do all the other flowering plants in the population. And then it takes one or more years for the plants to regain enough resources to be able to flower again. And since all the plants in a population share a more or less common environment, they gain resources at similar rates and they're ready to flower again at the same time. And so that, that's how kind of resource limitation and pollen limitation combine in order to um, synchronize masting. So this, is, this makes uh, a nice story, but there are a couple of assumptions um, that have only been tested rarely in nature. Uh, one is that reproduction in masting species is, is pollen limited. Um, pollen limitation has been shown in a number of species, but uh, only rarely in the context of masting. It just hasn't been looked at that much. Um, and it's often assumed that wind pollinated species are not pollen limited. You know, anyone who has tree pollen allergies probably thinks there's plenty of pollen around in the spring. Um, and many masting species are wind pollinated. Um, at least many of the temperate zone species like oaks and pines and uh, trees like that. Um, these, these same species also tend to have uh, trees that have separate male and female flowers or reproductive structures. Um, so there's no structural requirement that years when there are many female flowers, which is what develops into the fruits and what we think of as masting, and um, so there's no structural requirement that there's lot, when there's lots of female flowers, there are also lots of male flowers which supply the pollen. Um, but if pollen limitation is driving masting patterns, plants should invest in both female flowers and male flowers or pollen in mast years to help alleviate the pollen limitation. Um, so that's a prediction of, of this research budget model that there should be kind of consistent allocation to male and, and female function, so seeds and pollen essentially. Um, However, there's another long-standing body of ecological theory that makes contrary predictions um, called the sex allocation theory. This theory predicts a trade-off between investment in male and female flowers. Mm -hmm. In other words, plants that invest more seeds should invest less in pollen and vice versa. It also predicts that how much an individual plant invests in pollen or seeds should depend on the amount of resources the plant has for reproduction. Mm -hmm. The most common expectation is that plants with more resources should be more female. Mm -hmm. And since mast years are by definition years when investment in reproduction is high, we might expect masting species to invest more in seeds at the expense of pollen in mast years, which would be in direct contradiction to the expectations of the resource budget model of masting. Mm -hmm. And so it's this, this contradiction that we set out to resolve. And so we asked, first, are, are whitebark pine pollen limited? Because if they're not, then the rest of it doesn't really matter. And then two, is investment in pollen and seed cones consistent from year to year, mm -hmm. as expected by the masting theory? Or is there a trade-off between the two, as predicted by the sex allocation theory? Mm -hmm. okay. so, so before we get into what you found, can, can we take a little sidetrack into talking about the study system so you know what 
what what what species did you study, and, and you know, sort of where where did you study it? Sure. So for this study, we used white bark pine, which is the scientific name is Pinus albicollis, and it's a high elevation pine found in Western North America. Um, my colleagues on this paper, Elizabeth Crone and Elliot McIntyre, have been studying masting patterns in the species for several years. Um, the tree produces cones with large, nutritious seeds that are important for wildlife, including red squirrels, grizzly bears, and uh, Clark's nutcracker, which is a bird related to jays and crows, and it's the main seed disperser of whitebark pine. Um, the tree is also under severe threat from a non-native non fungal pathogen and a native but increasingly virulent bark beetle um, whose effects appear to be exacerbated by climate change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what makes this, this species really useful for masting research is that both the seed cones and the pollen cones leave scars on the branches, which can be distinguished for several years after they are produced. So instead of going out and setting up monitoring plots and then waiting for several years before we had enough data to analyze, we were able to go out, sample branches in one season, and collect data for, for several years. Oh, that's great. Um, and so we did this, this work uh, at, at seven sites in western Montana in the USA. Before we talked about the study system, you sort of laid out um, your sort of main, main predictions about uh, main, what you were trying to um, solve in, in the study. So what, can you describe briefly sort of your main, your main uh, findings from the study? Sure. So the, the first thing we did is we established that white bark pine are indeed pollen limited. Um, the maturation rate of seed cones was higher in years when there was more pet pollen available. So that's the kind of the test for pollen limitation. And then the second thing we did is we found that in mast years, both seed cone production and pollen cone production was higher. So they, they increased together, which is what was predicted by masting theory. Um, somewhat interestingly, individual trees tended to either be more male or more female but they stayed that way over the course of the study. So there wasn't variation from year to year. Um, so there was, we found support for, for the masting, the resource budget model of masting theory. Um, and then we also sort of found uh, support for the sex allocation theory um, in that we saw a trade-off between male and female production across trees, so different trees, being either more male or more female. It just, that trade-off seems to occur at a different scale than the scale of masting. Mm. Um, and then the final thing we did is that we did um, some modeling to show that the observed pollen limitation and patterns of reproductive investment, that is male versus female uh, investment, led to greater synchrony of mature cone crops. So it improved the synchrony of, of masting and also resulted in greater overall cone production than if there had been no masting or if pollen and seed cone production weren't positively correlated. So what do, what do you think these results mean? You know, like what are the, what are the larger consequences for this, for your findings? Sure, so one of the, the main kind of, um, I guess, conservation implications of this is that 
since we show that the species is pollen limited, that means that changes in kind of population structure um, and population density, so the number of trees in a population, might have impacts on masting patterns and hence seed production. Um, so in other words, if there are fewer, fewer adult white bark pine trees in a population, we expect uh, fewer of the cones to be pollinated and mature, mm -hmm. which would lead to less seed production um, and a detrimental impacts on the wildlife that depend on those seeds, and also probably fewer seeds um, making it uh, past the kind of the filter of those seed predators and being able to turn into new trees and replenish the population. Um, this is particularly important now because of the, um, the uh, threats to white bark pine. There being, there's a very high mortality rate uh, among white bark pines. And so this means that populations are both getting smaller and becoming more fragmented. Mm -hmm. um, and so for an order, in order for these populations to regenerate, they need to produce plenty of seeds. Those seeds need to be dispersed and they need to then germinate and grow into new trees. And so this could be a, um, seed production could be a bottleneck uh, to that process if, if populations are become essentially too sparse. So if you were going to describe, you know, why this, your study was important to, you know, non-scientists, and like, you know, very briefly, what, what would you say? Like, why would they care? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, um, you know, ecologists have been interested in, in massing for decades, if not centuries, just because it's a, an interesting invisible natural mm -hmm. phenomena. You know, mm -hmm. people tend to notice when there's a good acorn year, for instance. Mm -hmm. um, agricultural scientists also have had a longstanding interest in masting. Uh, crops from apples to citrus to olives uh, show some type of masting behavior that orchardists have tried to minimize for centuries so that there will be consistent crops from year to year rather than a, a glut in the market one year followed by scarcity. Mm -hmm. um, from a conservation perspective, um, the study of massing and seed production has become just more pressing in, in recent de decades as forests globally have experienced widespread tree mortality and forest fragmentation. Mm -hmm. um, with climate change, we expect you know, further disturbance to forest, um, including shifts in geographic distributions of tree species. Uh, for forests to remain as forests under these conditions, we need new trees establishing from seed, which means the trees need to continue to produce seeds in abundance, making masting patterns and the understanding the drivers of masting critical to understanding um, the potential for forests to respond positively to a changing environment. Okay. Um, so in other words, we're, it, um, it's, it's interesting to know, will pollen limitation increase under kind of changing environmental conditions and will this this affect masting um, for white bark pine uh, specifically um, what I mentioned before about um, 
high mortality rates um, is is a great interest to uh, not only the wildlife in the West, but to a lot of people. The white bark pines are, are fairly um, iconic species because they're a tree line species. They're in a in places that a lot of people like to hike, mm-hmm. and so they're they're noticed a lot. And the, the Forest Service has a has a large program aimed at trying to regenerate white bark pine in mm-hmm. high elevation in okay. forests. So, do you plan to, to build on this research uh, any further, or is this is this the end of the line? So, there's a couple of ways that I'm kind of building off this research. Uh, one is that I'm that I'm exploring the patterns of, of mortality, as particularly bark beetle-driven mortality in white bark pine, across an expanded set of, of study sites in, in Montana and Idaho, mm-hmm. and relating mortality risk to both environmental factors and then also tree performance measures, such as growth and cone production. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. I'm trying to understand both uh, which factors contribute to mortality risk besides the beetles, mm-hmm. uh, and the potential for regeneration of white bark pine forests from seed. So in other words, do patterns of mortality affect masting? Um, another way that I'm expanding on masting studies more generally is to look at other species. Uh, for instance, at Harvard Forest, I'm studying masting in sugar maple, mm-hmm. uh, focusing on internal resource dynamics as reflected in the sugar content of tree sap. Uh, this study will help illuminate how resource levels change in response to mass seeding. So it's kind of the the other half of the resource budget model rather than the pollen limitation. We have been speaking with Joshua Rapp for the Journal of Ecology podcast. I'm Scott Chamberlain.